Awesome. Cool. Go to, uh, how's everybody this evening? Are you good? Awesome. Praise God. Good stuff. Go to uh, Revelation. Revelation. I love you if you say Revelations, but you're wrong. It's Revelation. (laughs) Just one. And the reason why is this. It's important that you get it correct, singular, on its uh, plurality, because the book of Revelation does one thing, and one thing only, and that gives us a revelation of the past, present, and future work of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus. So, revelation. And if you say, Walmarts, I love you too. (laughs) But you're also wrong. Unless Unless you're referring to multiple Walmarts, then you're okay. Just having a little fun. We're continuing on our Left Out series. I'm really happy that this many people came back after last week's message. So this is awesome. Uh, that was probably the hardest message I've ever taught uh, to a group of adults. I had taught the, that to a group of youth before, and and uh, they're they're they are resilient, so uh, they they could take it. And I really appreciate the feedback and the love and the encouragement. Um, you know. How many of you are so thankful for the grace of God? But how many of you are also thankful for the wisdom of God that teaches us how to relate to God's grace responsibly? Uh, There's some teaching at work uh, in in, in the world today, in the church world today, that is demonstrating for us an irresponsible grace. uh, An irresponsible grace that eternity... And the decision you make concerning how you're going to relate to Jesus really doesn't have any kind of a bearing on eternity. Uh, and that, you know, Jesus has already taken care of all sin. So sin all you want because it doesn't matter. This isn't a new thing. This has been around for a while. That's why Paul specifically said things like, uh, you know, grace abounds or sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And then he says, should we use grace as an opportunity just to sin and do whatever we want? And he says, absolutely not. And... I love that. So uh, messages like last week where we talk about eternal implications and really asking ourselves the question, are we following Jesus and what that means? And last week should have purposefully created a lot of tension. I, didn't, I on purpose didn't do a, a, uh, a good job of uh, bringing resolution. I kind of left you hanging. And for the past two sessions... We started with this question on what is the church and what's the church supposed to be. And I gave you a case from reading some of John the seer, prophet John to you, and prophet Isaiah, and then another prophet, albeit a minor prophet, Bob Dylan. And I made a case for you in regards to the church being a shelter from the storm, that church is supposed to be a shelter from the storm. And you, as a temple of the Lord Jesus Christ of the Holy Spirit, are supposed to be a shelter from the storm to people in need. And then we continued on with that in regards to uh, the underdog and God's heart for the underdog. And we got to make sure that we're not leaving out people that Jesus has a very close place in his heart for. And we looked at the rich man and Lazarus and we wrestled with, if we don't have any fear of the underdog, we may not survive. And We made a case to understand that the underdog is Jesus and he came in a way that nobody expected and that's why he was rejected. And from there, embracing the underdog, Jesus, as king of the world, we now have something that happens in our heart in regards to how we see underdogs in our life day to day and God's heart for the poor and the afflicted and the ostracized and the outcast. And man, you got to really be closing your eyes when you read scripture to not discover God's heart for those that have the potential to be left out and the underdog. So I want to bring some resolution tonight. So everybody say yay. Yay. So you can breathe easy. We're just going to start with uh, one of Jesus' letters to a church. So you would think that this wouldn't be a difficult piece of scripture because Jesus just tells you what you want to hear all the time, right? Oh, Okay, maybe that, I guess that was the message I preached when I was in Sherman a couple weeks ago, was that message. So I'll tell you guys the truth. I love you. I'll tell you the truth. All right. Left out, and this is part five. Can you believe it? Pastor Austin kicked us off. 
a couple Sundays ago, and here we are rolling right along. So I didn't tell you we're in Revelation yet, did I? Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. We can look at it here on the screen. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And uh, I should probably help you with an understanding of who this angel is. Um, The most responsible way to interpret that is the leader or the overseer, the pastor of that particular church, the angel of that church. And uh, so you should start seeing me as an, as an angel. It would help you. <laughs> I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Once again, this is Jesus speaking to a church in a city called Ephesus. And back in those days, there wasn't a hundred Christian churches in the city. There was just one. Uh, Anyway, it's another talk for another day. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's a great heartwarming piece of scripture to start the evening off with. I promise I'm going to bring you some resolution to the tension that hopefully we've been experiencing over the past couple sessions together. We've talked about being a shelter in the storm. We've talked about looking for the underdog. And I want to make a case for you this evening that it's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. So I'm going to back up and say it again. I usually don't uh, throw out something that heavy that early in the message, so I'm going to say it one more time. It is possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. And in our attempt to make sure that we're not leaving people out in that Our lives are striving to be one that are displaying the works of Christ. It is possible to do the works, but to miss the love. And tonight, this kind of subtitle is, hashtag left out, part five, but don't leave out love. I love what Jesus says here in this letter to this church because... He starts off telling them the things that they're doing right. He starts off telling them all the things that he sees that they're doing that he's pleased with. And then smack dab in the middle of this letter, he says, but this thing do I have against you. You have abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love. And because of that, you've abandoned the things that you were doing at first. Let me read it to you, verses 2 through 5 in the Passion Translation. I think you'll like this. It says, but this I have against you. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. And what I love about this and looking at it in that that context is that here we have clearly seen... In Revelation 2, 1 through 5, Jesus says this at the beginning of the passage, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who do evil. So I see you working good in the earth. I see you demonstrating patience. I see you not repaying evil for evil. You're putting up with the persecutions that are coming your way. You're keeping your heart right. You're putting your best Christian foot forward. And then he goes on to say that you cannot bear with those that do evil. This church wasn't confused in regards to sin and what was right and what was wrong. There was no moral failing that Jesus addresses in the letter to this church. He says, you've even exposed and haven't received from false teachers, people that are preaching false doctrines. So 
they had some really solid teaching at the church in Ephesus. Is everybody okay? And I know you're patiently enduring and bearing up for my namesake. I know that you're not giving in to the common temptations and lusts of the world. I know that you're staying pure for my name. He says, but your love's grown cold. So this one thing I have against you, yeah, you're doing all the right things, but I'm not so sure it's for the right reasons anymore. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Can we care for underdogs? Can we be a church for a city? Can we be a church that each individual member is operating as a shelter in a storm in people's lives and not be fulfilling the greatest of all these, which is love? Is that a possibility? Is it possible to be doing all the right things for the wrong reasons? According to the Bible, it is. And looking at this and meditating on it, it's not one of those things that I immediately look at in like a corporate sense. And I bring a message this way because I fear that Victory Life Duran is in this same pattern as the church of Ephesus. No. I talk about these things for the purpose of understanding that the only way that this church stays healthy is if the individual temples of Christ in the seats stay healthy. Church is not an organism in and of itself. The church is made up of people. When we get a pulse and we get a reading on how we're doing in regards to church health, what we're really doing is we're looking at the sum total of the health of all of the members. And I love what Jesus does. He says, here's your church audit. And I see all the things that you're engaged in. I see the busyness that you're undertaking. I see the good programs that you're doing. He says, but this one thing I have against you, you've lost the love that you had at first. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love which means it's possible to speak in the tongues of men and angels and not have love. It's possible to speak in tongues and not love people with God's kind of love. And it's possible to speak in tongues and not really have fully even embraced or received the love of God in your life. I know it's a tough concept. Again, I'm just preaching the Bible right now. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I don't have love. Every time I open my mouth and I pray in my prayer language, but I don't have love in my heart, he, Paul says you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Might sound beautiful to you and beautiful to everybody else, but to God it's just noise. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I promise I'm going to bring some resolution. <laughs> I promise we'll feel better by the end of this thing. And if I have all prophetic powers, man, anybody want prophetic powers? I love that it says prophetic powers. That makes it sound even cooler, doesn't it? <laughs> prophetic powers. Listen to this. And understand all mysteries. You ever met anybody like this? And all knowledge. You got you to know Paul. You, you can kind of pick up Paul's personality if you really get into his writings. Paul's kind of sometimes sarcastic. So you can read it that way. And you understand all, you have all knowledge. That's how I can. And if I have all faith as to remove mountains. Man, you are charismatic like nobody's business. Kenneth Hagin had nothing on you, man. You are just, you're God's gift to the charismatic church. You have all faith. And you can remove mountains. But if I have not love. Anybody here tonight? It's okay to let it sink. It's okay to let it sting. It's good. It's good for you. 
have not love, I am nothing. I don't know about you, but I've been tempted to think I was something because of my gifts. Anybody else been tempted to think they were really something because they were gifted? No? If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, like being a martyr is the ultimate way that you really show God that you love him, right? Like, if you're a martyr, there's no question about whether or not you have God's love in your life because you're willing to give your life for God. It's like the ultimate, like, dream goal for anybody really following Jesus. Like, for me, that's like the ultimate way to go out. I don't necessarily want to go out my lazy boy. I'd... I, can't, I mean, if there was a way to go out, that's, that's the way. Forgive where all I have. If I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love. What, it's possible to give up your life and your body to be burned and have not love? Yes, because it's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. But have not love, I gain nothing. Man. He goes on to describe for us what love really is. Because here's the thing. If love is this big of a deal, and if we don't need to leave it out in our lives, and I'm going to give you some freestyle preaching here in a moment. Right now I'm just, I know, doing the boring stuff and just reading the Bible to you, but... I got, I, I, got, I got to do it. You know, it's part of the message for tonight. But then when I start preaching here in a second, we'll get excited again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7 in the Passion Translation tells us what love is. I love it because the Bible doesn't create a tension that it doesn't help resolve. Because if you get through that list and you think, if I've got all prophetic powers, if I've given up my body, if I've been so selfless, that I've given up my body to be burned, and all those things is still possible for me to not have love, then I guess I don't really understand what love is. I've read that before and thought that. I'm like, okay, I get, you know, wanting to use your prophetic powers to impress people. I get, look how big my faith is, and find an identity in your works. I get all that. But giving away everything that you have? How could you do that and not love? How could you offer up your body to be burned and not have love? And then I say, well, what is love? What does it even mean? Isn't love how much I can give away? Isn't love proof of how spiritual I am? Isn't love? Isn't love? Anybody ever been confused about love? So it tells us. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is large and incredibly patient. I like that. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. But let me just cut to the chase really quick. I can tell you this. It's possible to do things in a moment that are faith-filled. But Jesus, on the day you stand before him, won't say, Well done, thou good and faith-filled servant. He'll say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can do things in a moment because of your gift... But only love will empower you to be able to live faithfully over a lifetime. And a lot of people base their relationship with God based upon the highlight reel and the moments that were faith-filled. Instead of the ordinary day in and day out faithfulness to be with him and to be present to people. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of all about whether or not he knows you. He said to a group of people on the last day, they said, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out devils. We, did, we healed the sick. We rose the dead. You know, we gave the biggest tithe check that the church has ever seen. What do you mean? We're not getting in. We're not in the club. We did all the right things. Look, I can show you the highlight reel. Look at the things I did. Man, what happened to the cross? Look at the things I did. Look at the ways that I proved to you 
that I was legit. Man, it's funny that this group of people that stand before Jesus in the last day and they immediately go to all the things they've done, somehow along the way forgot worship. Because the first thing they said in his presence was referencing what they have done instead of falling to their knees in adoration. I don't know about you, but the, I, I don't know what I'll do when he's there before me. I don't have any idea. But I can say with assurance that there's just something in me that thinks the last thing will be, hey, check out my resume. I just, I don't know. Look, but in that final day, people just perform the way they had practiced their whole life. Because, see, this life is practiced for the day you stand before him. And there was a group of people that got so caught up in doing the right things that they forgot the reason they were doing it. They forgot that he was the point. So somewhere along the line, productivity overtook fruitfulness. Somewhere along the line, efficiency overtook being still in his presence. Somewhere along the line, pride and ego came in and I forgot how to be surrendered in my worship to God. Somewhere along the line, busyness robbed me of my intimacy with God. And the first thing that I did in God's presence, instead of doing what I had been practicing my whole life for, which should have been worship, which should have been receiving His love and letting His love move through me freely. The first thing I did is I referenced my resume. Anybody with me? Love is gentle and consistent and kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. What you did secretly in your heart when somebody else succeeded and you wanted their success probably doesn't make it on the highlight reel. But it makes it on the measure of whether or not you're loving right. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeking its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best of others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. I think as a church, we can't afford to have love be hashtag left out. Doing good things for other people and serving people with the gifts that God's entrusted to you, being a shelter in the storm, keeping an eye out for the left out, looking for the Lazaruses, cheering for the underdog, all of that is worthless unless it comes out of a place of being compelled by God's love. Because here's the thing about it. It's possible to figure out the formula and no longer connect with the Creator. Jesus, to the group that stood before him and said, Lord, didn't we do all these things? He said one thing. Depart from me. I never knew you. All right, we'll just drop the bombshell we dropped at Life Group this morning. That word know is the word for intercourse. Just going to throw that out there. Not talking about anything weird. Not talking about anything new age or freaky. All I'm talking about is Jesus said that every tree will be judged by its fruit, not by its gifts. He said every tree that doesn't bear fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. Not every tree that doesn't bear gifts. Those are two different things. And you see, fruit, the only way for fruit to come is via intimacy. It's the only way. But see, intimacy, at least the last time I checked and the way it works in my house, 
is something that's done in private. I see the fruit nine months later. That's why I got five kids. But it's because of something that happened in secret, not the highlight reel. Faith-filled moments make the highlight reel in your book, but God keeps record of what happens in the secret place. It's, po- it's possible to prophesy over somebody and not love them. The Lord dealt with me something one time. Anybody ever struggled with immaturity before? Look at this, revival, breaking out. It's amazing. Is, is it okay if I just talk to you? I'm kind of tired. I don't really want to preach. Can I just talk to you? All right, I'll preach later. You know, I'll spit and jump another day. Today, let's just talk. Let's just talk. Let's have a little, little big, big life group. Jesus gives these glimpses constantly, these things. One passage in Mark goes this way, that he called a certain amount of people to him that they might be with him. And then it says that he appointed them to have authority to drive out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. But if you look at that, I believe it's in Mark 8. The first thing that Mark lists on the importance is that he called them first that they might be with him. And then the stuff came out of that. If you came to me for marriage counseling and your marriage was falling apart, probably one of the things I would ask you a series of questions I would ask you would have to be around the way you and your partner are intimate. Wouldn't try to pry or be invasive, but there's differing levels of intimacy. There's physical intimacy, there's emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy. Whenever people start disconnecting, it's not typically because they stop doing the right things, it's because they start doing them for the wrong reasons. Self-centeredness kills more relationships than anything else. Okay? We start doing things based upon what we can get. And I love what I heard a rabbi give a teaching on one time about love. He said, most of the love that you have in the world today is called fish love. Say, what do you mean by fish love? Well, fish love is this. Fish love is that... I catch a fish, I kill it, and I eat it, and I like the taste. So I say, I love fish. Love's based upon the response it gives. Whatever thing I love is based upon the response it gives me, and if it's pleasurable. When I love pizza, it's because pizza makes me feel good. But Jesus didn't tell us to love pizza. He told us to love our enemies. It's a different type of love. See, it's possible... To be in this relationship with God, if you want to call it that, that's totally based on you getting what you want. It's possible to be in a relationship with God into where he's a vending machine. And I learned the secret codes. I call them scriptures, but they're secret codes. That I have to use in the right order. Dash of Psalms 91 little bit of Isaiah 61, Matthew 5, some Beatitudes for flavor. And hopefully, I've concocted some type of a potion that will get me what I want. That's fish love. I love you because of what you can do for me. I love Francis Chan. Anybody like Francis Chan besides me? There's this quote he asked one time. He said, are you in love with God or are you in love with his stuff? I love that. 
I just like hard things. I don't know why. Because I think the hard things recenter us and, and recalibrate us to ask the right questions. It's possible to be self-centered and do nice things for people. Churches are filled with people like that. I don't really care about you. I don't really love you. I need to look good. So I'm going to do this. It's possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. See, here's the thing about it. At the end of the day, the health of our relationship. The health of our Christian experience is always going to be summed up in its totality by what the intimate part of our relationship with Christ looks like. It's always going to be there. Because you see, here's the thing about it. There's no way to intimately encounter love. And the reason I said don't leave out love is because First John told us that God is love. So any area of my life that I'm leaving out love the way I'm describing it is actually the area of my life that I've left out God. It's possible to do good things and God never have motivated any of it. It's possible to do the right things and God not even be a reference point in your decision making. How do I know this? Because Jesus had John write a letter to the church in Ephesus and say, I see everything you're doing, but your heart's not in it anymore. I see everything you're doing, but somewhere along the line, you started measuring whether you were right with me by your highlight reel, not the secret place. He said, the passionate love you had at first. I just, there's so much going off on the inside of me. It's just... The culture is deceived by a spirit of lust masquerading as love. It's destroying relationships, it's destroying marriages, and it's destroying churches. And I have a problem with things that lie. We have to wrestle with why am I doing the things that I'm doing We have to wrestle with asking ourselves the legitimate question of, yeah, I can do more goodery for the kingdom of God, or I can put that aside just for a moment and reconnect with him in a place of intimacy. Because here's the truth of it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, talking about himself and the rest of the apostles, that everything they were doing, that in some groups was making them appear like they were out of their minds, Everything that they were doing, the, how hard they were working for God's kingdom, the risks they were willing to take. He ultimately boils it down to this in 2 Corinthians. He says this, it's the love of Christ that compels us. The love of Christ that compels us. And here's the interesting thing, is that there's no way for you to radically encounter God's love and it not result in some type of outflow through your life. The reason why James can say things like, if you have faith without works, it's dead. Because there's no way to have a relationship with the faithful one and not have works come out of your life. But it is possible to have just works and no relationship. Are you following me? The Lord asked me one time, because I've been communicating to groups of people like this for a while. For a good little while. And the Lord asked me one time. He said, whenever you get up, To use your gift to serve the people the way that I've called you to serve. He said, what drives you? Your desire to be perceived as profound or a desire to be as helpful as possible to people that need to hear truth? Are you following me? What's motivating you? What's driving you? See, at the end of the day... We've got to understand the why behind everything that we're doing. Or else it's easy to get lost in the what. You know, there's always going to be a million good things that we could do. There's always going to be a million people that sincerely and legitimately need help. And it takes the body of Christ working together to be able to facilitate healing in a broken world. It takes everybody doing their part. 
But here's the thing at the end of the day that we've got to center ourselves around and we have to ask ourselves a difficult question. Have I started living in a way that makes what's happened at the cross of none effect? Because see, there's something that happens when we really figure out that God can use us to do things and when we really figure out that we can be used by God in different areas and we can really make an impact, we can start looking to the good things that we're doing to be the justification on why we're in right relationship with God. And whenever we do that, we fail to look at the cross. We fail to see the price that Christ was willing to pay to connect with us where we are as we are. And the thing that I felt stirred in my spirit over the past few days to present to you and to encourage us with as a body to move into and to really start to make sense of why do I want my life to be a shelter in the storm? Why do I stop for the underdog? I do that because I've been marked by his love. I do that because his love has compelled me to do that. There's no way that you can't spend time with God, legitimately spending time with God, and not start loving people. But because we're works-based, what we do is, is we discern that we really don't love people like we should, so we try to fix that instead of receiving more of God's love. See, it, it doesn't get fixed by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, putting on your best fr- face, getting some elbow grease, and I'm just going to go out in willpower today, and by God, I'm going to show somebody God's love, and they're going to like it, and they're going to receive it, because I need to prove that I'm doing okay. How many of you know if we encounter you, we're not going to get God? It's self-centeredness. You need to feel validated. You need to be known. You need to be needed. But there's no way that I can't encounter His grace. There's no way that I can't be marked by heaven in a secret place, an intimate time with the Lord and the seed of His Word not be deposited into the womb of my heart and fruit not grow that now acts as healing for Lazarus's shelter for the storm, on the lookout for the left out. Let me tell you, if you're look, on the lookout for the left out but you're not abiding in God's love, you don't need to find the left out. Let somebody else find them. I said I wasn't going to preach <laughs> or spit, and I did. I broke all the rules already. All of those things, all of those things I just broke. Man. Next week, Pastor Randy's going to come and share. And I've asked him to come and share on something that is really just revolutionizing the way that a lot of our small groups are functioning. And it's a method of study and prayer that is just producing this pathway for people to connect with God in the secret place. And I've asked him, man, I'm going to share on love and how if we're really going to do any good for Lazarus's, if we're really going to be a shelter in the storm, if we're really going to make sure that the outsider is welcome and included, we've got to make sure we're saturated in God's love or else none of it matters. The resume doesn't matter if the agenda was anything other than releasing God's love. It's like I know. It's like, Pastor, this is just, this is simple. I know it's simple. How are you, how are you doing with it, though? There's a lot of things I think are simple, like trying to find my car keys. It should be simple, right? They should be exactly where I left them. Anybody an hour later still have trouble finding your car keys? should be simple. Yeah, it's all about love. It's all about love. And, uh, oh, what is that? What does that mean? Where, where did I place that? Where is that at in my life? If you came to me and you told me, hey, the last time I've been, you know, intimate with my spouse was 15 years ago, how many of you know that I would diagnose that that's probably something that needs to go to the first of the task list instead of taking out the trash whenever you get home? Are you following me? I don't necessarily care right now for tonight on when's the last time you gave a prophetic word, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody, 
When's the last time you were sheltering the storm and you invited somebody into your home? My question tonight is, when's the last time you allowed yourself to be radically marked by the love of God? When's the last time that you got alone with God and you surrendered and you said, Lord, I want you to fill me with the fire of your love. I want to be baptized in your love. In this moment, all that matters is me and you. Yeah, you've given words of encouragement like nobody's business. Yeah, you're giving prophetic words like nobody's business. Yeah, you're Facebook Live preaching like nobody's business. But when's the last time that you were so blown away by his goodness in private that you couldn't speak at all? Let me tell you something. Everybody I ever talked to wants anointing. Everybody. I want to be anointed. I want to be anointed. And the way I prove I anointed, I'm anointed is all the cool stuff that I do, right? Like if you really hear me prophesy, you'll know I'm anointed. You really see the faith I have, you'll say that person is anointed. You really see how selfless I am and how good I am at being hospitable and generous man. You'll recognize the anointing on my life. Love, this, this is a powerful thing. This is off script. The whole sermon, I got derailed by my own thought life. It was a lot better in my head. I apologize. I'm about done. We'll go, we'll go home early, trust me. Early for you. And what you're used to. This was written by a guy named E.M. Bounds. It's like one of those times that you ever hear something and you know after you hear it, that's just going to stick with me for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? One of those phrases or quotes or passages, just something marks you. You're just like, man, I got a place for that. Where is this place of being anointed? Where is this place of being sealed with promise? Where is this place of being right with God? Where does it come from? Does it come from all the cool things I can do? Does it come from all the people I've helped? Does it come from any of those things? No, it, it comes from a place of intimacy with the Lord. And what we need is we need more anointed people and we need less performers in the church today. There's a, I love the little Facebook like meme thing I saw one time. It said something about, uh, you know, well, that person wasn't acting like a Christian. And the sub caption said, well, it's good. Thank God's not looking for actors. <laughs> Next week, Randy's going to share on studying the Scripture and prayer. Study of the Scripture and prayer. And it's something that gets so easily, I don't know, cheapened because we're, you know, looking for how to get the key to unlock the third heaven so that we can get the golden cup that's going to pour out revival and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, where's the place of allowing yourself to get back to the things that you used to be really passionate about. Anybody remember when they first got saved? Anybody remember when they first got filled with the Holy Spirit? You couldn't be in the Bible enough. It's like everything changed. You were so sensitive in your heart to like stuff that even came on the radio. It was like, no, I got to turn that. I'm grieved right now. All I want to do is worship. All I want to do is pray. All I want to do is praise. All I want to do is time with God. You start acting so weird, everybody... Stopped hanging out with you. Don't you remember that? It's like, what's wrong with this person? You know what happened? You were intoxicated by the love of God. Didn't matter. All this stuff stood still. It's like, man, God really loves me that much. I think the saddest thing to see is in people's lives where we stop being breathless when it comes to how much God loves us. It's like, oh, yeah, he, he loves me. This I know. That's what the Bible tells me. So, right. This anointing, what's this anointing, this grace on our life that empowers us to live as representations of Christ? Where does it come from? Well, Ian Bounds makes a case for it in a place of prayer. And I'm going to use it, though, to just talk about that secret place or that place of intimacy with the Lord. 
says this, this anointing comes to the preacher. How many of you have made a decision to follow Jesus? Well, you're all called to proclaim the gospel, so you're the preacher in this quote. Tag, you're it. This anointing comes to the preacher not in the study, but in the closet. You could say it this way. This grace, this anointing to be able to care for the poor, to look out for the left out, to be able to minister to Lazarus's, to be able to be a hospitable, inclusive people. This anointing, this grace on your life that allows you to do it godly and effectively doesn't come through performing. It comes through surrendering. It comes to the preacher, not in the study, but in the closet. It's heaven's distillation in answer to prayer. It's the sweet exhalation of the Holy Spirit. It impregnates, suffuses, softens, percolates, cuts, and soothes. It carries the word like dynamite. It makes the word a soother, an arranger, a revealer, a searcher. It makes the hearer either a culprit or a saint. It makes him weep like a giant. It opens his heart and his purse as gently yet as strongly as the spring opens the leaves. This anointing is not the gift of genius. It's not found in the hills of learning. No eloquence can woo it. No industry can win it. No orthodox hands can bestow it. It's the gift of God. The signet sent to his own messengers. It's heaven's knighthood given to the chosen true and brave ones who have sought this anointed honor through many hours. I'm going to make an addition here. Of being in the secret place. Of being in a place of intimacy with God. It's possible to get so focused on the doing that we forget the being. It's possible for us to get so focused on leaving a legacy that we don't even leave a mark. It's possible to get so focused on all the ways that we're going to prove our spirituality instead of allowing ourselves to be surrendered and wooed by Jesus. I guarantee you that if you will embark on a journey to spend more time in a place of intimacy with God on a day-by-day basis, the result will be more Lazarus is being healed, more left-out people being included, more of your life being a shelter in the storm, than it currently is. Not because you strive to make it happen. Not because you mustered all your willpower and all of your gifting. But because his love compelled you into a place of now you having no other option. Make Jesus happy when we look for the left out? Absolutely. Does it make Jesus happy when we care for the least of these? Absolutely. But if we've never cared... To spend surrendered time with Him, then none of it really matters. What does your intimate life with God look like? Does it exist? Has it been a while? Father, we don't want in our pursuit to make sure that people are not left out, that we leave you out of our lives. We want the main thing to be the main thing. We want the anointing that comes. We want the residue of heaven that rubs off on our life to be because we've kept company with you. In a place that you've been so close to us that you have rubbed off on us. Jesus, we want to go back to a first love. We want our hearts to burn like they did at first. We don't want you to look at our life and all we have to present is a resume. You want to look at us and say, hey, I was just talking to you. When we stand before you, 
We don't want to be there, that to be the first time we've ever been face to face. We want to know your smile. We want to know who you are and we want you to know us. Father, there is a lot of work to do. But if we don't take time to surrender from it, we know we'll miss the real work. That's laboring to enter your rest. Father, may all the works that are, that are important flow from this place of first importance. All for the love and the glory of your name. Amen. The ministry team would come. If you feel led just to tarry in the presence of God, feel free to do so. You're officially dismissed. But I do want to encourage you that if you feel like you need to take some time to be quiet, take some time to be quiet. We've ended about 13 minutes early than what I typically let you go at. So you've got some time that you can sit and just allow the Lord to soothe your soul, to minister to you. I would ask just out of respect for the kids, workers that you go and you get your kids and bring them back in here with you. Let them sit in the presence of God with you. And if they want to run, let them run and you can sit. We'll lock the doors. We'll let them get out so it'll be okay. Just allow ourselves to bask in God's presence. I'm going to stay mic'd for a little bit because I'm just sensing maybe th there could be a little bit of a, of a prophetic flow. And uh, But you're, you're dismissed to, to go. You do what you need to do. I just want to tarry for a little bit. So love you so much. I'll see you Sunday if you're here. If not, I'll see you next time. Thanks for putting up with the message.